Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat, a show where I interview business executives, talent development professionals, and thought leaders to find out what has been successful and challenging in the world of talent development. My objective is to share ideas, valuable lessons, tools, advice, and trends. My hope is that all of this will ultimately help you, the listener, expand your knowledge, grow your career, and accelerate your success as a talent development professional. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I am excited that you're joining me today for an interview with Carrie Olison. And Carrie is the Chief Human Resources Officer at GitHub, uh, which is a technology community for uh, coding and developers with, I believe, around 2,000 employees. It was acquired by Microsoft, where Carrie worked, and she is now based in San Francisco, right, Carrie? Yes, and loving it, especially this time of year. Awesome. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. Thank you. Uh, Great to have you on. And we were just chatting before, and uh, it sounds like you've had some really interesting experience through your time at Microsoft getting involved in some, not just HR, but some mergers and acquisitions, some unique things that uh, you know a lot of people in the HR space don't get a chance to touch. So I'd, I'd love to start with that and hear a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are today. Oh, certainly. I really am a career adventurer. I I don't often hold myself out as someone to follow exactly because I tend to take some really unusual turns. But overall, it's accrued to what really made me a great candidate for the role I have today. I was born and raised on the West Coast and went to Washington State University. I have a degree in English education, and that was really me avoiding any difficult classes while I was going through college. The education part of that has served me really well and I think aligns to the passion I have for talent development as well and growing people. I, right out of college, took a job in Atlanta and lived there for six years. And that's how I ended up in HR is I was working for a temporary staffing company. And as most people know, that industry really boomed. And I had the opportunity to learn a lot. And a lot of my day was in recruiting talent. And I really think recruiting is such a core skill for anyone in human resources, but also if you're thinking about talent development. And what I loved about that experience was when you're placing people and that's your business, everybody that walks in the door, you see them as somebody who you're going to put in a job. And so what I really learned to do was see people have skills as opposed to recruiting where you might be recruiting for your business and you're filtering people out. I was always seeing, where am I going to put this person to work? 
And so it helped me bring a mindset around recognizing all kinds of skills and backgrounds and potential. When my son was born in Atlanta, I wanted to move back to the Seattle area where my family was because um, I realized I knew nothing about raising children and I was terrified. And so I ended up taking a job where I was running a staffing company in the Seattle area that was a medium-sized company, $22 million in revenue. And it was that experience that I was recruited to Microsoft, who was settling a class action lawsuit at the time around contingent staffing. And I had the opportunity to go to work there. And I honestly thought, oh, wow, this is, you know, a tech company. It's all socks and pizza and beer. And I, you know, I will go and solve this problem for them. Two years tops and make my mark. It's going to look great on my resume. And then I will whip myself back into temporary staffing because right. and frankly, it was pretty lucrative. And I honestly fell in love with Microsoft on my first day at work. It was so unexpected and I had the opportunity to work starting in staffing. And then I evolved into a job in one of the COEs or the centers of excellence where I was working as an OD consultant doing talent management. And that included things like studying the culture and putting a plan in for culture change, leadership development, building and implementing career ladders and thinking about what intentional internal movement would be as we develop talent. I ran a leadership and development team, learning and development team, and responsible for all of the onboarding of employees and professional development. So I got a wide range of experience there. And that was really from a credentials perspective where I built my talent development muscle. And then I really wanted to be closer to the business. And there is something about you don't really have street cred in HR unless you've gone and sat with the business and helped grow a business. And so people looked at me as somebody who'd over only ever done like big thinking things and then tossing it over the fence. So I went to support a business and had the opportunity. Uh, this was transforming our Windows server business into what is now our Azure cloud business and was a major transformation effort and uh, worked with Satya Nadella, who was the executive vice president of that unit at the time. Just That was the role prior to his accepting the CEO position for Microsoft. And that was a fabulous experience. And from there, the opportunity opened up to go work in our mergers and acquisitions team, which is not an opportunity that comes open very often. So I jumped at it. And it was really at a point in my life where I wanted to travel more and I really wanted to be outside the company. I felt like I was getting too insular. I was losing touch with market. And, and that's, again, coming from recruiting where you're outside all the time. And I could talk about what I was seeing, talk about patterns and trends. I, I felt like I had more influence and credibility coming from working in the market all day long. So I wanted to get back outside the company. And it was a time that Microsoft was incredibly acquisitive and growing inorganically. So I did 45 acquisitions and five divestitures in three and a half years. So learned it, and that's from very small to very large. Our largest acquisition was 35,000 employees in 56 countries. Our smallest one was three employees. So it's a, a wide variety and was just adored it. I had a wonderful team, um, worked in very creative ways, and it was really a rich time of learning. 
And then as things slowed down and we weren't doing quite as many acquisitions, I had the opportunity to go support one of our businesses that we were bringing out of incubation and into uh, growth. And that was our HoloLens product. And again, a very deeply technical team coming out of what had been a 10 years of research and breakthrough technology and now bringing the first product to market. So that was really, really fun. And then as we made a decision to acquire GitHub, there was an opportunity to put in a chief human resources officer. And given my range of experience across HR and the combination of my acquisitions background, it was not only irresistible to me, but it did make me a pretty competitive candidate for that position. So I've been there about 14 months now since mm. uh, the acquisition closed. I was, I was working on the integration slightly before that. And proud to say, as you were mentioning, uh, we've grown from what was about 800 employees at the time we bought the company to 2,100. And we've completed six acquisitions. Well, let me say completed five. We have six acquisitions in process in addition to building the team, hiring a significant amount of talent, putting in the executive team, and really um, preserving what makes GitHub so special and unique. And it's showing in the market response, in people wanting to come join the company, the positive customer sentiment that we're seeing, and we're on track to exceed our growth goals as planned uh, by the deal. So it's been phenomenal. And I love living in San Francisco. Oh, yeah, I can relate to that. I lived in San Francisco for four years and uh, made the opposite move as you when my daughter was born and moved back to the East Coast. But I'm, I miss it. If you work in talent development, you know that your job has become more important than ever. The problem is there's so much uncertainty and noise out in the business world and things are changing so fast. It's hard to know where to go and what tools and resources to use to solve your problems. That's why I recently launched the Talent Development Think Tank community as a central and safe place to access information, ask questions, and talk with other L&D professionals like you so that you can achieve your goals and accelerate your career. Join today to get instant access to our online platform and community of ambitious, helpful talent development professionals who understand your world and can help you solve your problems. Right now, I'm offering 25% off the subscription price to podcast listeners. Just go to talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and use code HOTSEAT for 25% off. That's talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and use code HOTSEAT. Thanks, and on to the episode. You have such a phenomenal career story, and I know where we talked about how we were going to talk about career development in this conversation, but I have a couple of questions I want to ask you about your experience there that I think will be relatable to a lot of people. One of them is is about Microsoft because you've been at Microsoft for, I don't know, over 20 years now, something like yeah, that. Yeah, no, I lie about it now. It's been so long, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> well, what people don't know is you started in middle school. Uh, yes. So you've been at Microsoft for 20 years, which means you've seen uh, very different leadership, right? And you've yes. seen, when I think of the history of Microsoft, I think of one of the most, if not the most dominant players in the technology market that um, kind of lost its way and got overshadowed by other big tech players like Apple and Google and and others. And now under the leadership of Satya Nadelli is once again, one of the largest companies in the world yes. and seems to be firing on all cylinders. So I'm sure there's already much written about this, but I'm curious from your perspective, what is it that 
Satya Nadelli has done and what is it Microsoft has done to really turn things around from a leadership perspective to make the company so dominant and successful mm -hmm. again? Yes, and I, thank you, Andy, because it, it gives me an opportunity to say I'm really proud to have weathered that transition and change and mm. to see Microsoft become its best self. Because clearly there were strong, strong indications that the company would not be able to make that turn. And as we know from history, you know, it's only one or two percent of companies that actually live beyond 35 or 40 years. Right. And can evolve with market changes and new product lines and competitors and disruption in the market. So and, and these days, the, the average age or tenure of a Fortune 500 company is down to only 19 years before they're disrupted. Yes. So it's amazing. Well, I've seen a lot of acquisitions, so I can, it feels right. true to me. So yes, it's, it, I would have never thought that that was going to be my career path. And, and the reason I've stayed through all of that is I just kept getting challenging, exciting jobs I couldn't resist. And, and the problem scope was so interesting and fascinating. And the opportunity to move around, and again, we'll talk about career development because I really developed a belief system around that, um, was was again, kept me very committed to the company and personally challenged. Now, Satya, and I, uh, again, give the context from having worked with him on a, an org a part of the organization that we were driving through a major transformation. And I do think the experience he got in leading the server and tools business as the, the assignment just prior to becoming CEO, because that was a large-scale transformation, I think it was a really good dress rehearsal for then wanting to do a broader transformation of all of Microsoft. And then there's other things that I think have made him effective. Part of it is he's grown up the company. He's, and I don't know the actual number of years, but it must be 23, 24 years that he's been at Microsoft now. And so he's credible. He also worked in multiple divisions of the company on different product lines. And he developed a strong network. He's also one of the only leaders that I've personally ever worked with who didn't collect any enemies along the way. Uh, there's just part of the way he operates, and, and I'm sure this is very much his personal values and maybe even the, his cultural, cultural orientation coming from India, but he tends to relationships and he repairs things and he tends to not be self-serving and want to work through ownership issues or uh, organization dynamics in a really positive way. So well-respected, well-regarded. And then the second half of my answer, let me give you more of an academic response. Um, I'm a huge believer in the Hay Group School. The Hay Group was uh, subsequently acquired by Corn Ferry, but had done tons of research on culture definition and culture change and corresponding leadership development. And my core belief is the leader is the single biggest lever you can pull in driving a culture change. And not only have I personally seen it and experienced it, I think we've all seen it and experienced it. And the statistics will show the leader has as much as 70% impact on the culture that gets created through the various things that they do, whether that's setting vision strategy, the behaviors they tolerate and reinforce or reward and recognize, the leaders they put in place and what they model, the organization structure that they put in place that reinforces the way you want to work and, the, and what you're achieving. And so just that single individual change starts you on a transformation. And Satya being 
someone who had cultivated his own leadership, had studied personally, had invested in his own development to be ready for an opportunity like that, and then had the dress rehearsal of doing a transformation right before, I think made him uniquely qualified to really take advantage of that opportunity of a leadership change and come in and really own and run with it. So um, we've seen it play out. I think it's a phenomenal case study and I'm um, very proud to have to be part of the new culture that's getting created at Microsoft. That's fantastic. And I love what you said about uh, culture and the leader being the biggest lever that you pull in driving culture change and having, you know, 70% impact or more because it, it's true. I get asked about culture a lot. Um, I'm involved in culture changes with organizations. We've had those conversations in this podcast. It has to come from the top down, right? It has to come from the leaders embodying that culture and people seeing it because you can't tell them one thing and then act on the other. So Satya is making this big change in the culture at Microsoft I'm curious if there were any tools or programs or uh, you know initiatives that were part of that that helped to make it successful. In other words, like communicating the changes and getting people on board. Yes, of course. And then I would love to tell you the story. Can I can I transition to GitHub and how we've thought about preserving the culture there? And Please. I'll I'll make the connection of. Okay. The CEO that we've put in place at GitHub is Nat Friedman, and I feel very similarly about him as I, I do in terms of having grown up as a developer and in the developer community and being very well networked and being credible and passionate about developers as a community. What are the tools and techniques that he has used as a new leader coming in at a moment with a company that was almost 11 years old? And how do you then uh, simultaneously preserve the great things about that culture, but then take that culture forward? And one of the things that I think has gone really well is creating um, a momentum. So right out of the gate, and this was this is true with Satya as well, a frequency of communication from that CEO. Satya does monthly Q&As with all of Microsoft, and he started that very quickly once he became CEO. So that's uh, both, it's two-way. It's let me share information and top of mind and and give you some status updates, but also let me answer some top of mind questions that we're getting from employees. So there's a dialogue and accessibility and a sense of familiarity there. Nat started weekly all-hands meetings the second week we took over at GitHub. And so just having that really frequent cadence of hearing from the CEO, responding to questions, addressing concerns, giving direction. And then similarly, so weekly all hands for the first 90 days, every single week. So creating a real drumbeat, implementing OKRs very quickly so that there was a 90-day objectives, key results, a, a framework for goals to set us on a quick quarterly delivery schedule. Uh, setting a goal of we want to ship something in the first 90 days. So focusing the whole company on how do you start moving forward with something. And then role modeling things like the two-way communication. GitHub runs on GitHub. This is what's interesting. GitHub is a platform for uh, developers to write, store, and share code. And it also has a workflow, so you can jointly run work on projects. It enables communication. It enables shared editing and sharing of information. And so it's a, it's a really friendly platform that's optimized for software development, but you can really use it for just anything. So, for example, as an HR team, 
we have a manager repository. So when I'm putting information out from managers, I publish it on GitHub and managers then can ask questions. We can update, we can keep that information accurate and timely. And there's a two-way dialogue that happens uh, between the HR team and the manager community in how we're operating and running the business. Similarly, if I want to open a purchase order, I will interact with procurement on the platform by putting in a request to say, I need to open a purchase order. Here's the nature of the contract. Can you assist me with that? And then there's a dialogue that ensues. So using the product is a huge cultural attribute of GitHub that we wanted to uh, reinforce and maintain. So having the leader personally participate in a lot of that and reinforce it and talk about how important it is, is intentionally choosing the, the aspects of the culture that are tied directly to the strategy. We reflect the community that we support. GitHub is a developer community. We operate as a community inside the company. So we reflect the culture that, we're, that we create for our customers. And articulating that and then being intentional about saying, we're preserving this. This matters. This is important to us. So it was a long answer, but just trying to give you a sampling of some of the things I see leaders specifically do that line to that culture transformation. Yeah, and it sounds like the the keys there are uh, communication, regular communication, and really modeling the behaviors and the culture that you want to have out there. And I love what you said about reflecting the culture you create for your customers. So some companies don't really have a culture of customers, but a lot of companies, especially tech Mm -hmm. companies, do. And you want to embody that in the company as well as what you want to create outside the company. So related to this, another question I want to ask you about your own career uh, you've been involved in a number of these mergers and acquisitions, right? You said, I think, 45 in yeah. five years or, or something like that. And this comes up a lot in conversations I'm having with talent development professionals, which is whether when a company acquires another company, whether they are integrating or they're keeping a company separate, but especially if they're integrating, how do you merge those cultures? How do you integrate? How do you make sure that it's not a complete failure? Like there have been you know, mm-hmm. some famous ones in the past that we can talk about, but how do you make sure it's successful? Yeah, so part of it is actually taking the time to sit down and and describe what the cultures of the two companies are. And so as I was describing that uh, with GitHub, is GitHub runs on GitHub, that's really important. GitHub has asynchronous communication, meaning we're going to publish something so everyone can see it, respond to it, collaborate on it on their own time. So you don't miss a meeting. GitHub has a highly distributed workforce globally. 68% of our people work from home. That's an important cultural aspect. Why is it important strategically? Because we reflect the community of developers that we serve. Our developers work in a distributed way. So we work that way. We understand what our customers' experience is. So being very intentional and saying, we're going to keep doing that. And then similarly, if you're bringing in another culture, And in this case, we've actually merged in some Microsoft employees into GitHub because obviously there's related talent there. And we have the opportunity to take parts of the Microsoft developer services suite and integrate it into GitHub. So in Mm -hmm. some ways, it's a reverse integration. And so then we're articulating what are the best things about the Microsoft culture that we want to make sure that we're preserving as well. And then I've used something that is a common... uh, 
OD uh, opportunity, but that I recommend, which is just, it's uh, called World Cafes and you can find it on the internet, but it's a simple facilitated meeting where you bring in employees, random employees. It, it, you want diversity of people from different disciplines, different levels of seniority, different tenure with each company. And you have a session with anywhere from like 40 to 150 people at a time. And you intentionally put people at both tables and something like red dots and blue dots, right? So GitHub will be the red dots and Microsoft will be the blue dots. And then we're going to match you so you're sitting at a table. And the thing I found to work the best that kind of uncovers the assumptions about culture that people have and help to really make it explicit is to just talk about typical scenarios. So things like, you know, what do you do in your company when you get a new manager? What's that experience like? What happens in your company when you make a decision to discontinue working on a project? What happens in your company when you have a new idea, when you really have an idea to go solve a problem or you want to suggest an innovation? What's that experience like? So you take some of those very typical workplace scenarios and then you have people tell the story of, well, this is what would happen in our company. A lot of times they're not even conscious of it, right? They're not even conscious that there's a way to think about that. And then that puts explicit, ah, well, how are we doing that going forward? Which of these things are we going to be doing? And then you, we typically record that or we somehow document it and share it back with the rest of the organization so you can accelerate kind of the adoption of understanding of, wow, these are assumptions we would have made about each other and how do we actually agree we're going to move forward in this direction. I, re I really like that. I hadn't heard of the World Cafes, but uh, I love, you know, again, it sounds like communication being really important, having those meetings, getting people together and then integrating them, you know, having them sit with each other, moving the people around the room and, and setting them mm -hmm. up at tables. So you've got people from each company. Um, I've been running as my main business, facilitating business simulations and experiential learning programs for many years. And we've done some for cultural, uh, you know, for mergers. Mm -hmm. And uh, we did a couple, some years ago, we called it a cultural zipper, where you basically like, you know, you integrate and yes. you bring the people from different sides together and, uh, you know, have them have a, a shared experience where they can learn from each other and have those conversations like what you're talking about mm -hmm. so that they get to know each other and feel like they're part of the same thing instead of, uh, you know, two factions warring against each other or something. I love the zipper metaphor, Andy. I'm going to steal that. I'm Take sorry. It. I'll credit you. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't That's make great. it up. I didn't make it up. It was somebody I worked with years ago. So um, I can't take credit. But as we're talking about employees and people moving around, mm -hmm. one of the things we wanted to touch on is uh, career development. And you mm -hmm. said something earlier that you had a belief system around career development. I love that you said that because it, it tells me that you obviously have a strong kind of core belief. It's not just like, oh, I went this way and I went that way, but you have a strong belief. So what, tell me about that belief system around career development. Yeah, it was certainly born, I, again, I, I do credit a lot of my early uh, awareness mostly to the, being in recruiting for a number of years and having that, that sense of there's lots of jobs and lots of people and they can be matched up and confidence in that. There's a job for every person and there's no reason to stay in a job that's not making you happy. Those problems can be solved. When I was in the Center of Excellence and working on culture transformation, we were also defining uh, what's the right leadership development strategy when it comes to what kind of experiences on the job experiences do we want our leaders to have had. 
And a lot of that was born through this idea of what job moves make the most sense. So we actually researched successful leaders and also more typical average kind of leaders that you wouldn't necessarily think about as, so we had a compare group and there were things that really popped as what makes a difference at the end of the day. And so that strong belief system is around making different moves to keep yourself learning and trying new things and becoming very adaptive. And what kind of moves am I talking about? We had uh, specific definitions. Uh, and it's not that complicated, but something like earlier in your career, you might start somewhere in a job. And the goal is really to just learn your discipline, right? So for example, I started in recruiting. Learn how to recruit. You might start in product management. Learn how to do that. You might start as a nurse. Learn to be a good nurse. And then you're, as you're learning, you are developing a knowledge around how to work. The other, you then might consider something of, I want to go to an adjacent discipline. So from recruiting, maybe I want to move to being an HR business partner, or I want to move to compensation, or I want to go do training and development. I want to do other disciplines within my profession area. So always knowing what those different discipline opportunities are and trying a different discipline, still leveraging all the skills that you have in that profession. Another opportunity might be, I want to go support a different type of business. And there's, I described it as two types of business. Do I want to be doing the, a consumer product or do I want to be doing something that's a large enterprise service? You're going to learn very different things from having different ex business experiences. It might also be, I want to work in a business that's at a different phase of the growth cycle. And people are, oh, I want to go do a startup, right? That's a legitimate career experience. Go get a startup experience at some point in your career. You're going to learn completely different things in a startup than you would ever be exposed to even in a large mature organization like a Microsoft, for example. Um, so startup to growth to mature to declining, like thinking about those growth curves. And do you have experiences in different one of those in each of those different scenarios? What about a global experience? What about simply going and doing a job now? Like you said, Andy, you moved from the West Coast to the East Coast. Go get an experience where you're fish out of water. Go be in a different place and have I've to learn that. all of that. Even though you might know how to do your job, now everything else is new. Yeah. And the way I think about this, if you think about a checkerboard, and okay, my first move was I, I took a job and I'm learning my discipline. My next move, and I think of it as one-step moves or two-step moves, am I now taking a role where I'm learning two things at the same time? Maybe I'm in a new discipline and a new business that I've never been exposed to before. I'm going to have twice the amount of learning if I can actually hit two of those differences in a single job move. And there may be phases in your life where you don't want to take on that much learning, where I need to take a role where I'm really just learning one thing because maybe I'm raising children or I'm uh, making a move across the country or I'm making some other personal life change and I'm going back to school. Whatever it is, I only want a one-step move because I'm doing something else in my life at the same time. When you really look at a career, most people have seven or eight job moves. That's kind of it. So you, I think of it, what, are you getting the most out of every one of those moves? How can you get two-step moves? And then knowing that you're mastering things at a faster level, the more experience you get in life. 
because you're learning how to learn. You're learning how to adapt. So early on, consuming and learning how to be a good employee takes a lot of time and energy. But later, you can actually absorb a two-step move and do fairly well. You're not taking such a huge career risk. Yeah. And depending, yeah, depending on your destination, then looking back on, did I get enough breadth of experience? Did I actually really in, learn how to learn is a huge thing. And did I uh, widen my perspective on the world and on business and get multiple perspectives? And if you correlate this with, I'm a huge believer in the three-year cycle, right? Like if the first year you're learning the role, the second year you're applying that learning and the third year you get to see if you had an impact from what you applied. After that, you're kind of only incrementally learning because you've done it enough cycles now. So that's when people ask, am I staying too long in a certain job? Really, that's, that's about is the job changing enough for you or nope, you've mastered it. You're occupying a space somebody else could be learning from. Go take your next step and get a new learning experience in. Yeah, it, almost, it reminds me of another interview I did with, uh, I don't know if you are familiar with Whitney Johnson, but she has a book called Disrupt Yourself. And it's the idea yes. that, you know, if you, once you get comfortable in a job or a career, you don't want to get too comfortable, complacent. It, it may be yes. time to disrupt yourself and go try something new. And it's always, it's uncomfortable. And a lot of people shy away from it. They're afraid of failing. And yet, you know, we know that growth always happens from, getting out of your comfort zone and going and trying yes. new things. And at the end of the day, like most fulfillment in your career is going to come from growth and overcoming challenges, not just sitting around being good at something. Yes. And it's humbling. I mean, the best thing it did for me was make me more humble over time. Because, right. Yeah. And you just get a little bit more comfortable going, okay, I'm going to not be good at this when I start. <laughs> yeah, right. And you got to be okay with that. I'm going to be bad. <laughs> And get help. Uh, I like that. So, I mean, early in career, you've got to get good at what you do. Think about your job in terms of these three-year cycles. Look for experience. Get intentional about looking out for experience doing different things, different roles yes. or different types of functions or even different departments, different companies, whatever it is. But And that's a project I'm working on now is how do you help people become more intentional about that? Just be more thoughtful yes. about it. Because I think a lot of people are just sitting around they're not thinking about it. They're drifting and just waiting yes. for their manager or someone to tell them what to do with yes. their career. Right? Yes. So hopefully we can change that. This episode of the Talent Development Hot Seat is sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage is the first place to call when you need leaders to lead, sellers to sell, and your business to flourish. We specialize in connecting organizations with exceptional learning solutions to help them turn strategy into action and get their people doing the best work of their lives. And we're also proud to be providing tons of great content and inspiration to you and everyone out there during troubled times. You can go to advantageperformance.com to find any of our weekly webinars, insights, white papers, and blogs we've been putting out to help you survive and thrive during challenging times. That website again is advantageperformance.com. And now back to the show. So thinking about your career, Carrie, what's been your proudest moment or biggest accomplishment in your career so far? Oh, well, gee, there's been so many. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. No, um, I think my favorite moments, Andy, are just when I get notes from other people um, thanking me for, for 
either being the team I created and the opportunity to have worked for me or with me, the assistance I might have given them in their career. I mean, this is maybe going back to the teacher instinct that was in me somewhere early on as the impact on other people personally. I feel incredibly lucky. I have lucked into some really interesting opportunities and been in places that I would have never planned to by by design and been exposed to really good leadership and uh, really good business practices. Yeah. So I think I picked up good habits in in spite of what my instincts might not have been to be uh, to have such high standards that I have now. But that's probably the things I'm proudest of is the people that I have grown and and touched and had the opportunity to work with and the kind of teams I've created, including the team I have now. Right. Um, it's just a pleasure to be on. Oh, that's fantastic. I love hearing that. What's been your biggest failure or mistake and what did you learn from it? Yeah, there definitely been so many. Um, probably hard to just think of one there. Um, I certainly, I think like other people, particularly with any le- level of ambition, I get very goal-oriented and mm-hmm. I get fixated on delivering something at a certain point in time. And I mean, one of the biggest global projects that I had led, again, when I was in the center of excellence was defining all of the career ladders for Microsoft, which was across, you know, multiple job families, geographies and and levels and working with the business to define what do we what do we mean in terms of expectations for each of these discipline areas and job families and how do we actually put a structure in place? So it was it was a multi year project. And it was accompanied with not only uh, building that content in partnership with the business, but designing an online tool that would support that infrastructure and also be an employee experience. So the expectations for what you might have in a given job then were linked to skill development areas and learning. This is, at the time, it was a novel thought, but this is now a lot of what exists out there in the market and and, uh, is available with other services. So... Long story short, I was very, this was such a interdependent project that there were so many other downstream systems dependent now on what this infrastructure and architecture would be. It was really the talent architecture. And so I had made a lot of commitments uh, across multiple dependent groups, in addition to driving a lot of change management over, no, this is going to be wonderful and great and all happiness when we get there. Uh, There's some pain getting from here to there. So I had done a lot of advocating and lobbying and, and getting alignment and stakeholder engagement. And you know when you've been doing that, how you get so invested in delivering on the day. But the, the more we did, the more people then took on dependencies and the bigger the project became, which was the right outcome in the end. But the reality was there was no way we were going to be able to deliver on the original schedule we put out there. And I was in denial about that. <laughs> like, and I had, a, I had my, I felt it was probably the first time in my career where I really couldn't just muscle my way through and make something happen that I had committed to make happen because I was getting it done through so many other people. So, and it was incredibly visible when we had to slip the date. And as you know, with other uh, large systems you put in, you, you're not just slipping the date by a couple months, you're missing a whole year because there's only a couple of windows in the year when you can implement large scale system changes because it has so many downstream impacts. So it was going to be a year late. Right. 
again, in the long run, the right things happened. It was more ready for implementation, all of that goodness. But it felt, it was, again, humbling for me. I felt like I had, I I was failing. I felt like I had over-promised and under-delivered, which you could argue whether that had really happened or it was inevitable. Mm. Inevitable. Um, And that was a huge learning. And the main thing I learned was, my body was telling me that the whole time. <laughs> like, yeah. My body was working to keep me in denial too. So there was, I know what that feels like when I'm wanting the goal and I'm getting fixated on the goal and wanting to deny what's going on around me. And I, I learned to look out for that now and know that it's not me committing to a goal for myself. I'm committing for an organization. I'm committing for a team. Yeah. And so... I need to be more realistic. And I can, I'm sure that this was what, 10, 12 years ago. I'm sure that there'll be lots of people to say, I still haven't learned this lesson completely. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's, that's, I remember the feeling. Right. That's why I ask these questions. I mean, we often learn so many great lessons from these. Sometimes it takes us two or three times to learn. Yes. Right. But, uh, <laughs> but we, we often learn them. Um, it's like when I keep kicking my foot on the couch over and over again. Um, uh, Carrie, are there any major trends in HR talent development that you're following that we haven't talked about so far? You know, it is continues to amaze me, Andy, the information overload that's out there now. Even things like your podcast, which is wonderful. The amount of learning and development that is available online. This is why it's uh, there is absolutely no excuse for someone not growing and developing because it's like raindrops. It's falling all around you. I wouldn't have thought that we would get to this point in time that quickly. It's really amazing. And a lot of that is, I, I have to go back to that, it's a community generating content, right? People like you saying, I'm going to generate some content around this. And once you've enabled the community to activate, you're not waiting for you know some channel to produce specific training. So I think that's really amazing as a trend in talent development and how we harness that and how we empower employees to really take advantage of that, I think is huge. And then it's also that two-sided coin. The fact that there's so much information is overwhelming. People get discouraged. They're not sure what they're supposed to be doing. And it's immobilizing at the same time. So we're kind of in that interesting in-between place. Uh, it's true. I mean, there's so much content out there. Nobody can say, oh, I'm not learning because there's not enough information or not enough right. content. There's plenty and there's more coming out every day and plenty of people and communities, like you said, producing content. I mean, just today, I posted twice on LinkedIn, played twice on Instagram and three Thank times you. on Facebook. So I'm creating content every day. I'm one definitely Thank one you. of those, right? <laughs> um, but that's because people are consuming content. Um, yes. But the, the challenge, of course, it, that I hear all the time is like, do people make time? How do they make time? You know, and how do you prioritize? How do you decide what's the right one, right? I mean, if you're in this community yeah. like us, and I'm going to ask you for a book recommendation, you get book recommendations all the time, but you can only read so many books. So how do you decide which one to read, right? Yes, it's like vitamins, right? Like I, I end up taking all of them because I'm not sure if I need one of them, right? And it becomes right. a daily practice. Yes. Right. Yeah. And then your friend will come along and say, you don't need those vitamins. Yeah. You don't need to read books. All right. Well, speaking of books... Uh, is there a book that has made a profound impact in your career that you often recommend? I often recommend Malcolm Gladwell's The Tipping Point. I love that book. And well, I just also just love his uh, his curiosity and he's he's so good grounded in research. His Outliers is wonderful too. But the thing from The Tipping Point that I really took away was this idea of how do you do large-scale change? 
which does tend to be the thing I gravitate toward over and over again, is I really want to move a mountain. And now it needs to be a bigger and bigger mountain because I've already moved some little ones. And for the way he describes early adopters and mavens and that idea of, a, of how does something get started in some little place in the world and then the next thing you know, it's mainstream. I just love that as a change management orientation and I think there's a lot of good wisdom there in terms of how you can take uh, and transform a company or a business at a large scale. Yeah, I love that. I remember reading that book and it was uh, it's a powerful one and one that a lot of people mention um, that's been because Malcolm Gladwell is just such a fantastic writer. Um, all his stuff is great. So last question for you, uh, Carrie, for anybody listening, especially in HR or talent development who want to accelerate their own careers, right? We talked about career development. Uh, what's one more piece of advice you would give them? Again, move around, try different things, uh, volunteer for stuff, ask for a stretch assignment, don't get static. I do, if somebody's new to HR and wanting to explore it, I do tend to recommend people start in recruiting. And I say that because you're going to get such a fundamental understanding of assessing uh, talent and being able to talk about the strengths and the capabilities of that talent. And that single building block, I think, is so useful in terms of having a long-term human resources career. And then I, I have to say and acknowledge, I think human resources is going through a bit of a battering now, right? Like it, and some of it's deserved, some of it's not so deserved, but that I I, I use the language of human resources. It was a conversation I had with my team of, are we going to go call ourselves people or something else? And it's like, no, this is who we are and what we do. Um, we're always, people are always going to go, oh, you mean your HR. So let's just own it and let's actually do the job in a way that redefines what those words mean. And I think this is a calling. It really is a profession that should be the best in terms of taking care of humans as we go about um, growing and developing. And so I have a strong belief in it. I think it adds an amazing amount of value. And I really care about doing the job well. So if, if it is something that you're passionate about, I support that and you're going to have some good days and some bad days. And know it's a calling and know that you make a difference. Oh, I agree 100%. And, you know, as we enter this fourth industrial revolution, digital age, yes. whatever you call it, you know, technology taking over, uh, it doesn't stop. Change the fact that people run businesses and mm -hmm. um, the roles that, that we do in developing and managing people is, is incredibly important, more important than ever. So we, I know we don't take that lightly. Carrie, this has been awesome. For anybody listening who maybe wants to get in touch with you or connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Oh, you have two ways to get in touch with me. Uh, one is uh, Cario at Microsoft.com, C-A-R-R-I-E-O. And the other is Cario-on at GitHub.com. And that the GitHub has handles. So we all have a, a handle in terms of how we show up in the community. And I wanted to be Cario-on. So, nice. Okay. Um, I that that I think uh, says a lot about me. So carry on at GitHub.com. I love it, and I'm sure people can also connect with you on LinkedIn, which is owned by Microsoft. Yes. I believe you and I first connected on LinkedIn. I'm on yes. there all day, every day. In fact, please do. I'm building my network. Oh, there you go. Okay, we all we all are, which is uh, an important part of building a career. Well, Carrie, this has been fantastic. We've covered so much great information, and I just so appreciate you taking time to come on today and share with me and my listeners. So thanks again for coming on the Talent Development Hot Seat. Well, again, thank you, Andy. And thanks for even doing this. It's wonderful. Appreciate it so much. Absolutely. Take care. 
If you're looking for a place to connect with colleagues and peers from your industry and find out what other people in talent development are working on, you need to check out the brand new Talent Development Think Tank membership community. Inside, we have members from companies all over the world who are working on all different things in talent development and sharing what's been working, what's been not working, and answering each other's questions so we can all get our jobs done more effectively and be more successful in our careers. If you'd like to join us, we'd love to have you. Just head on over to tdtt.us slash community, and you can use code HOTSEAT for 25% off your subscription. That's tdtt.us slash community and use code HOTSEAT for a limited time for 25% off your subscription. If you have any questions, reach out to me and let me know and we'll see you there. Thanks for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you got value out of this show, please subscribe, leave a review and share with your colleagues and friends. We want to spread the word and add as much value to the talent development community as possible. And we need your help. As always, you can find more information and connect with me at talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Take care.